1: I like this wouldn't be
2: a book I would recommend to someone. I would tell them all the things I just said to you, uh, but I wouldn't recommend myself because just the way I process books and movies in general. Uh, but yes, I can give it praise where the praises do. For
1: sure. Have you ever seen the gray? The movie
3: gray? the gray. No. Oh man! I literally there's. I literally like. I kind of
2: avoid most. Like, my friends that know me best, they're like, I'll ask them <coughs> if they've seen any of these movies. Like, uh, Revenant, is what it's yep. called? Yep. I was like, okay, I see it's Once in the Wars, looks like it's a good movie. Nope, Nina, don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs>
4: because
2: they know like, what my heart, like, my heart, like, it takes on whatever is happening in the film. And if there's not much redemption, Nina doesn't do well.
4: Well, there's redemption in Revenant. It's just of a different sort.
2: Yeah, see when you have to say it's of a different sort, it probably means Nina can't handle it. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean it's fine. And I it's you know, I've had enough pain and trauma in my life to you know, fulfill those needs. <laughs> but it's um, I can appreciate something but not necessarily
5: uh, feel good about it. Yeah. That's you why definitely I definitely think... don't want to watch the grid.
2: No, and that's why I didn't, even Pursuit of Happiness, I didn't watch Pursuit of Happiness because I heard the whole movie was just painful, 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 and then, oh, good things happen one second and, like, the end. So, I'm like, it's, I'm good to know the, how the story ended. I almost looked at the end of this one. I didn't know though. I just, I got through it. But it definitely keeps you reading. There's no doubt about that. Did you guys read it?
3: I am on page... Oh you're
2: close.
5: 179.
0: you're you're getting there. That's where I was last
4: week. So um yeah. I'm David by the way. Oh I'm Ruth Gouch. Ruth. Nice to meet you. Joel Schumacher. Joel, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Joel. I'm gonna try to see this in a minute. Brother-in-law. I'm I'm a brother-in-law. Alright. Right. And
2: she's Mother, right?
3: Yes. She mother of my a kid.
4: Mother of the child if that works here. The stuff. who? The, stuff the red is my kid. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, what's what's her name? My Shannon. Never met her. Okay, Shannon. You, she's she's lovely. It
3: she just
2: fits it. because I mean you have to be Irish, right? Like Shannon and red hair. It's just uh, like, perfection <laughs> for the Irish stereotype. Yeah.
4: My boss in Beijing was named Shannon, mm-hmm. but he was a guy and. And apparently that
3: actually is the more I have common met, I think I've met some I was. male Ooh. Shannons in my life Our, My husband only knew man, a male Shannon I am a female Shannon so she was Shannon either way uh, All right. Right. and we didn't, we didn't know what she was going to awesome. be but we knew she was Shannon Awesome I haven't met you uh, My name is John David I wasn't here last week I had some homework to get caught up on um, so. Nice to meet you John Nice to meet you too yeah,
2: welcome back. You've been gone for two weeks. Yeah, I think welcome one back. week I had You're sick. Sick. Yep. And then last week you yeah. had your
3: schoolwork. Yeah, had school board. So yeah, I was trying to get caught up from those. Did you read it? I did not read the first part and I'm gonna go back to that, but I went through the second part today Whew. and it's a little bit grim. A little bit. A little bit. And then, <laughs> so I, I I had I was like, I gotta read the first the second one hundred pages, so I kinda like Skip to scan a little bit, and I would. Well,
2: you so you got to the end. Not,
3: yeah. to, I'm not to the end. Just yeah, I'm, okay. I'm in that final part of the yeah. book. I feel like this is one of those <laughs> books, like in the
2: English, sure. like in English literature class, they talk about all the genius like devices he used for his writing, mm-hmm. um, which, which is what we talked about last week. We'll, um, we'll probably talk about it
4: again today. So they can sell that in the first like two paragraphs. I was I was listening on audiobook and I was like, whoa, this guy's. Wordsmith.
2: Now, but when you see it, see, there's some things you don't right. see with audio. Yeah, that's like pump, he yeah. leaves out punctuations, he doesn't quote oh, things, exactly he doesn't okay. use quotation marks. Which so, is all very intentional. Yeah, it's very obvious it's intentional and it works really well because everything's meant to be gray and dark and the writing is gray and dark. Just like jump into
6: playing <laughs> and then go into prose and then go into poetry. And, <laughs> He's consistent. You know, like, like, uh, James Joyce does in Ulysses. Last mm-hmm. time well,
2: we start. Yeah, yeah. Because latecomers don't
1: need to... All right. So second week. Last week was the introduction of a very uh, depressing book, but I think I set it up in terms of this is a book that you're not really supposed to like. You know, I don't think anybody reads. You're not really supposed to like dystopian literature, anyways. You know, but but. It's a book that you either hate and say, I never want to read this again, and I remember reading it, or it's a book that you hate, but you appreciate the fact that you read it, and you're glad that you did, but you never want to read it again, or it's a book that you're going to read every year for the rest of your life, kind of of book. Um, And there's so much that's in this book, where it is a fictional story, but it touches on Theological themes, moral themes, anthropological themes—it makes you wrestle. I mean, this is a this is an ethically ethical dilemma book, right? And it's also a giant metaphor, or a, a multitude of giant metaphors for different things. And so we touched on some of those last week, and that brought up, you know, certain ethical, you know, questions. And I was I was really glad the way that we kind of ended last week because. Part of the nature of this group is that we do want to wrestle with these things and even (laughs) be able to come away and say we don't necessarily agree with this or we want to dig deeper, you know, in in future sessions on some of these bigger questions. And that's the point of this group, right, is to go home wrestling with this stuff and you know, realize for most of the questions we really want to wrestle with the big questions for the rest of our life. So moving from last week, um Let's just go ahead and like summarize. Oh, I don't want to summarize for David or for anybody else. Can, not okay. This. okay. So this is this is kind of the end of the world, and you watch this father and this son on this journey, and they're walking on the road where the story really enters. We have no idea what happens or why it happened, but we just know that there's ash, and McCarthy does a really does a really good job of just painting. This whole scene in almost a black and white way, right? So it reminds me a bit of Schindler's List, right? Where it's like, this is not a film that's actually meant to be in color, right? There are a couple things that are in color, and those are meant to be in color, and and that draws your attention. Mm -hmm. But Schindler's List, right? Oh,
2: sorry. I missed you saying Schindler's List as I was looking something up about it right
1: here. Yeah. So, you, you know, there's <laughs> yes, an appropriateness to that, right? And there's an appropriateness to the way that he writes and sets up this, you know, this journey that these two, his father and the son, we have no idea what their names are. We know very little of their backstory other than the fact that he was married and they had a child in this world, right? This child did not come from the old world into this world. He was born and raised in this in the own world, and we have no idea what his age is, kind of imagine you know, 10, 11, 12, something like that, but you also see so you see some maturity in him, um, but you also see a whole lot of innocence, and there are things in this book that have made me, like Titus at three years old, right now walks around and he says, what's that called, dad? And I'm like, well, that's what that's called, and he says, oh, okay, well, what's that called? That's called a chair, okay? But what's that called? That's a banana, you know. And like, there's that level of innocence in which this boy is still trying to figure out the world, right? So they journey, and we understand a little bit of the backstory that the mother basically said, "A meaningless death is the only kind of death that I want. I, if I had three bullets, mm-hmm. I, would, I would use them on all three of us, but." you won't let me do that, so I'm just going to walk out this door on my own and leave you two to waste away in this world. And that's kind of just that's kinda of where where the book you know, there there's some other things that happen, but that those, that's one of the biggest things in the first part of the book. So setting this up the second maybe 100 pages or
0: so maybe up to page like 175 hello it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing Chumba Casino. coincidence I think not everybody's loving having fun with it Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet so sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's Chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: There's various different things that happen. i just going to want to get like, as you've read a little bit more into this book, what are some things that have stood out to you that have been different from making the first week or making continuation of the first week? i trying to remember. Where, where, where
2: exactly did you read it <coughs> We, it was one first first one of pages, I know. <laughs> well, then he's. they've not gotten to the... The second half, they get to the, the food cellar, right? And mm-hmm. they find the miracle. Actually, the constant encounter of little miracles and their own way, yep. the possibility of miracles in that of world anyways, because um, they're the lucky ones nobody feels like you, but when they keep getting food whenever they need it, um, that moment or those few days did feel like a slight relief.
1: Yeah, so the first 100 pages are just totally morose, right, and you can rest. but there's, there are reprieves that are in the second part where you start to see these glimmerings of hope where even as a reader, you can breathe. Right. So the two in
5: particular, right, is. Hey. Just a bunch of chairs. We. I'm the.
7: chairs. I'm walking around the door right now. There's a chair chair right there.
6: Can I just sit right here? Actually, let's do this.
1: Yeah, I mean even even the boy's birth was unconventional, right? I mean, he was born in, in a bathtub, you know. I mean, what a way to come into the world. Right? In a bathtub in the middle of an
5: ashen, you know, whatever it was, nuclear warfare, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we're, we're kind of just putting the question out, like, what are what are some kind of gut
1: reactions to if we're dividing the week into sections. The second section, maybe goes up to page two hundred or so. What are some some gut reactions from this second part? I just want to throw out uh, just
8: this is
6: this is probably obvious, but I kind of like what he did with this in the literary perspective. Is the uh, the road is the <laughs> name of the book, of course. They're traveling the road, even though they have to be off. Uh, but the the road is called Macadam, right? It was, it's, uh, yeah. You yeah. yeah. The MacAdam. The Mech Adam. That is a road that is mm-hmm. made of broken bits and parts. Several and times and, and, and it's to look and it. it's not it's like a well paved road. It's 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 a conglomerate of broken things. That's 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 the path that they're and then something like well, that's a perfect metaphor for the entire that's why it's called the road. Mm-hmm. But it's it was this obvious like this thing like that's nice. That's a little you know, tip of the cap. It's, it's 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 subtle but yet it ties the whole thing in together. That's that's where that's what they're on. And so I, I, I thought that was
5: kind
6: of cool mm. another profound the road image.
2: surfaced with by a 2 binder
1: <laughs> i think it is a profound point because obviously one of the big metaphors from this book right is that the road is life yeah right and so you're journeying from this boy, you know this boy in particular right is journeying from his house where they leave, they finally leave and he sits on this road <clears throat> to the coast, right? And they just walk and they walk and they walk. And one of the one of the things anytime you see them stop, right, even in these reprieve moments, what do they say? I can't we can't stay here. Oh. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. You know? See that and you want to like be like, no you can and it's like, but we can't stay here. And they never really like fully rationalize it.
6: But if, but if we want to pull this into Lewis, because I think we can right here, I think we can pull Lewis in right here and, and go into, um, we can go into uh, Pilgrim's Regress, right? Because that was his entire thing was he was on a journey and a path and he couldn't stay in one place very long. He would he would glean certain things from certain aspects, but it, he was going to the coast. He was going to the island. That's where he was going as well. Um, and and I, that's that's a very similar, what we're talking about here is that was the road mm-hmm. and he met many people along the way, some were good, some were bad, mm-hmm. but the whole, the whole thing was, his, it was his process of his journey. This okay. was his journey on the road. Right. So um, <clears throat> tied it into Lewis. There we go. Yeah. That's the goal, <laughs> nice. <but. laughs>
5: also, it was interesting the types of people that
6: he, they were coming across. Like the first one, the old man. Yeah. I don't remember what he was each one was a little different. And, you know, the boy was, you know, trying to understand who was, you know, who was, who was the good guys. You know, are we still the good guys? And, you know, which we talked about last week
4: as well. What got me was the boy. No matter who they met, he was looking for some way to save or redeem them. He didn't want to leave them behind. He didn't want to abandon them and such. And it struck me that this kid. It's basically been only with his mom and his dad both for the first few years of his life, but not that long it's just been him and his dad primarily isolated just
2: the two of them and yet he has such a heart for other
5: people
2: and he's i mean and they, it's not like it's just about him and his dad the fact that they live in this really depressing horrible gray mm-hmm. ashen world i that's like struck me I think we talked about this last week too the fact that um The guy who wrote this is an atheist, right?
1: Is that correct? I don't think he's on record. Oh, I thought we talked about that. that Someone said that.
2: But I was just kind of struck by the fact that, you know, how he wrote into the book this kid. No matter what, like, there was that innate... He still had innocence, and he still had a desire to help and be kind. Yeah. Um his dad's dealing with the constant survival and keeping his son alive. And this kid is like, knows that he could die, but also maybe he doesn't have a real idea because he's not been hurt necessarily by any stranger yet because his father's protected him. But that throughout the whole book, it's always like what you are saying, how can we help, how can we help? Mm-hmm. Even like that happens, right? The guy in the woods that happened in these second part, mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy in the woods. You know, when he's shot, like, the kid is devastated, obviously, I mean, for you know, several reasons, but he won't talk to his dad for a couple of days, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um,
5: I,
6: I don't think he, he was an atheist, because because the primary purpose of the dad was to protect the son. That was a God-given... Well, you be an, an, an atheist, you realize not realize
2: you're, you have God...
1: I, thought so. I don't know. Well, I do think he wrestles, I and mean, we could touch on the old man in a little while, because that that that, mm-hmm. that encounter, he's really trying to paint there, like this is how a certain worldview approaches the road, the way, right? And <coughs> there's parts about the old man that you're like, okay, I like that, but then there's other things that you're like, what is wrong with you? You're so cynical, right? Yeah. But I think, but I think one of the there questions that doing. he is raising is. At, at the fundamental bottom of human nature, are we, are we good, right? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things here is like, this boy doesn't have the backdrop of a world built on norms to, to carry on with, right? Including the old man, right? But this boy was born into this <laughs> world and knows nothing of the old world, right? And even confounds his dad in some ways because, you know, there's, there's points where it's like I can, I can imagine myself being the dad and being like, well, you know, why, why why does this bother you so much that I just I just did this, right? That I just killed somebody because this is the world that we live in, and it's like the boy's almost protesting against this world that's there, right? <clears throat> Or the more or the morality of this world is this an isn't argument I'll oh, go ahead, go ahead.
4: Um, yeah yeah uh, isn't uh, well, it seems like I' again yeah, I've only read like the first 20 pages but I feel like the very beginning kind of foreshadows this aspect of the boy's character uh, which if it is indeed a reflection is if, if it is indeed his image of society embodied in an individual, uh then i wonder if uh he's not talking about him in in, in like a you know idealist stance because even the i think the father at the beginning says if he's not the Word of God, I don't know what is, mm-hmm. which seems to mm-hmm. me to be a to be a very much foreshadowing what everyone's saying here about the nature of the boy, which is that his kindness plays through throughout the rest of the book. Mm-hmm. If I want to, I, I, you know, and maybe his father sees that in him from the beginning, and that's why he said it from the start. It, almost in a way of like saying. Here's what's to come, the kindness of this mm-hmm. child. Yeah. I
7: think he's like the unconventional hero, like the boy is, right? Like, he's unconventional because he's not like who you would expect to be the hero. But on, I think it's, I was just looking it up. I think page 175 or 177, I think, um, when he gives the man food. Because we're doing like the first 200 pages, right? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. It's one, page 173. Whenever he gives the the man food, he gives him fruit and something else, then... Um, the dad says you should thank him you know the man said i wouldn't get i wouldn't have given you anything maybe i should and maybe i shouldn't why wouldn't you i wouldn't have given him mine you don't care if it hurt his feelings and he said will it hurt his feelings no that's not why he did it why did he do it he looked over at the boy and he looked at the old man you wouldn't understand he said i'm not sure i do maybe he believes in god i don't know what he believes and then the old man the other man said he'll get over it he, the dad said no he won't so I think that's just such a good uh, reading. That reminds me of the part that I mentioned last week when he um, when he says, warm at last. And the dad says, where did you get that? And he said, I don't know, but I just know it. So I think that's like the transcendence we talk about with the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit was maybe an archetype of like the unconventional hero. Like he wasn't born into it, but yet it was innate inside of him that he knew right from home, you know,
1: yeah. yeah, and you see that in a lot of, a lot of churches. Anytime, anytime he comes into contact with other people, I think somebody's noted this, right? But... You know the scene of course where they stumble in the house right and they open up the cellar and they see the people there right mm-hmm. and the father closes it up and they run away because you know some other people showed up but he says you know what are, what are they going to you know can we take them with us and he says no we can't take them with us and the poor says you know why can't we take them with us and he says, because we can't we will we'll die if we take them with us he says are they going to eat them he says yes they will he says, we would never eat
7: that and and this is an interesting thing, is that this boy is always
1: looking for assurance from his father for these moral attributes that don't have norms behind them, right, these Mm -hmm. fundamentals which is just an interesting play because you see, like, he's looking to his father for Assurance and, and you know, to, to back him up and you know, to not contradict him, but at the same time, he is contradicting his father in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know that the father, at some level, is like, Yeah, all right, well, we'll give him food, you know, the old man, right? It's like, We're gonna give him food, Dad, right? It's like, Fine, it's like one's out <laughs> of know? pity and
7: one's out of like true you know, world, like we're a gonna, moral compass. We're gonna
1: invite him to, to stay with us for the night, right, Dad? And he's like, Fine, but, How does you
2: know, he more. I'm like I was just trying to imagine because he's always so kind to his son. I mean, there's yeah. a couple of moments where he uses his, his patience. I don't even know if you can call it temper. Outside of one that he ran up to the kid you saw in the house, right? But and then, then he, then he was, like, you know, <laughs> was like I know. I was like, he lives in this world that is literally hell and he's like It's okay. I love you, son. Or what I don't know if he says I love you or or how he does it, but he just shows love to his son through patience so often, or it's okay, you didn't do anything wrong.
3: It keeps striking me that the father is actually modeling two different things. So every time they come across other people, the father is modeling let's get away from them, they're not trustworthy, they're not worth our time. And the son enters into that and is doing something. Wanting something differently than what the father was saying and doing. But the father is so tender and sweet with his son. And he's modeling that for our everyday life. But interaction with other people is a no-no. And so that the son keeps coming back and being compassionate with other people is not anything that he has context for, really, except in how his father treats him. And I'm like, where does this kid keep coming up with this? And what am I supposed to be learning from this, right?
6: Is this is this an argument against the the tabula rasa, the, the blank slate? And is this pointing us to Jungian archetypes that, that that are innate there, or is this is this what Caitlin said? is this just transcendent Holy Spirit knowledge. Is this just some kind of special? that we're we're born with, and if we we have a father who allows the innocence to to mature, you're going to have these, because the father's giving him all this kindness. Is that where this is growing out of, or is this just something that is unconscious that's coming out, that that he knows this is true? The kid doesn't know why it's true. The father knows it's true. Um, But it's like a nature over nurture type thing, because he should should be different, Mm -hmm. but he's not. So, yeah, so where is he coming up with this? Is this the unconscious? All right, you don't get
1: any sense that this boy, this boy continued to grow, that he would be like some of the other characters that we see mm-hmm. Right, right. It seems like it's mo- most likely an archetype, of, mm-hmm.
4: you know, that, that stereotypical literary archetype of the pure soul mm-hmm. uh, that we see over and over again. But also, I think it's an archetype of the pure soul, the very, if, uh, if I'm understanding everything that's being said, just kind of taking this from what you guys are saying, it seems like the the individual is the embodiment of the moral law, in in an individual that is also that archetype. So it's like if you took the, the idea, the concept of Lewis's moral law from your Christianity and just stuck it into that archetype, that's what you would get. That is, this is that character. That's that's what I'm gleaning from what you guys are saying. If
7: that's no, it, they're if they're that's correct, I'm very, like, very interested. <laughs> I just can't miss the part, I mean, I know this is maybe not a spiritual, maybe not a Christian book, quote-unquote, right. but I just feel there's too many little nods to miss about the transcendence of the Holy Spirit and, like, the innateness of good and, like, good prevailing and, like, what good is, um, and, like, too many nods to God and, like, saying the actual word God in the mm-hmm. book to, like, overlook that and to think it's just based on, like, a moral com- a general moral compass, you know? Well, I don't know if that's true, could, but could
5: we,
6: Could we also maybe... Uh, Michael Ward asks the question why is there no church in C.S. Lewis's fiction? And Ward points to the fact of Christianity is the atmosphere to which the entire books take place. So it's ubiquitous. So there's this, the silence is ubiquitous because it's the book doesn't exist without Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so Christianity is in every fiber of the book. Mm-hmm. Is this the fact that God's not mentioned because it, it, in essence it is the atmosphere of, of the book that's that's being presented you know, that's, it's, the, the silence actually is ubiquitous rather than
1: the absence of, of God I, don't know. Yeah, I think it's a very Jovian kind of book right um, or well, I can to say this in another way I think the question of God for Cormac is He's he's posing this question the same way that I think that you would pose this question in in Auschwitz, right? And that is, in what sense is God here? And I don't think... I think what he's saying through a lot of this is at this level, at at this deep of an existential question, Right, and this obviously is a giant metaphor for death. Right, half answers
8: don't work very well. Right,
1: you know, when everything's gray, and this is not just death. This is also tragedy, grief, trauma, sadness. Right, where, in what sense do you say to God? even there, right? And of course for the father, the only sense in which he says that God can be there is in his son mm-hmm. right? So we stripped away
6: every crutch that we have in western Christianity, every trope and every, like you said, every platitude and, and, and things of that we don't, that we look to and we have these sayings and these pithy quotes and all this stuff that that, that, won't, that won't work here what is your foundation built on? What what actually works? What actually corresponds with reality of here? Right. Could God exist,
1: what would you say? Yeah. Because <laughs> you can you can never interject something in this kind of world or in in our real world now or in the midst of trauma and mm-hmm. loss and death and say just simply, Oh, it will all work out in the end. Right? Or you know. God has His reasons, or you know, God God makes everything good in the end and takes everything. You know, and it's like, in what sense is that even an answer? You know. So I think this is just—it's a deeper level of a, of a, the question of where is God? Because you can't and He can doesn't avoid that. The,
6: Yeah, you can't yeah. fall back on those things. You you yeah. can't fall back into the comfortable Christianity where your your image of the divine that you have, He, he won't, He doesn't let you because yeah. it's not it's not allowed in this in this universe. But is there still something we can take out of this, out of this universe that, that actually will help
1: us? So, by the way, I think, I think that like, as a parent, right, and of course, if you're a parent, you read some of this through a parent's lens, right? You, you, one of the questions that I have as a father is like, how are my kids growing up and seeing the world around us, right? How safe do they see the world? as it is, because it's, I mean, this world is very different from the world that I grew up in, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, there's, I mean, we got, we're talking about nuclear weapons and World War Three, and, you know, our country is as divided as they can possibly be, and all this stuff is going on, and I'm like, I used to be able to watch the news, and it was like, Monica Lewinsky was the biggest scandal, but, you know, the, I faced as a kid, you know, watching that stuff, and it's like, of course you have little things other, other than that, but, you know, it's the depression on the rise and you know suicide rates on the rise and division on the rise like how where, where is God in the midst of
8: all of this? I thought One of the parts that struck me was when they were in the cellar and he was it was the last night that they were there like in that bunker underground uh, he was saying like I feel like I'm an alien and my son, like my son thinks that I'm an alien from a different planet, and I think to an extent, like growing up, I felt like my parents were kind of from a different planet at times, because like you're saying, you know, you grow up in a whole different world than what your kids live in, and what your parents lived in too
5: mm-hmm.
8: and I don't know if like in this book, if it's his dad, it's just like he lives in that world, and he is just deciding not to become a part of the new, uh, like, wasteland world, and he still feels like it's from the world that was there, but it's never going to come back.
7: Yeah, but in some ways he's letting go of that world in order to move forward. Like, he leaves his wife's picture in the road and keeps moving, Mm -hmm. because at some point like, things are too heavy to keep moving. Mm-hmm. You know, if he holds on to it, it'll drag him it down, right? It will... Like, what I thought about that was like, <clears throat> the past can only drive you so far, you know, like it can spark mm-hmm. something, good. it can inspire something, but it can't. You have to be moving towards something, you can't be moving from yeah. something. Yeah, it's good.
3: Doesn't it, Doesn't your past, provide context though? Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that keeps driving me crazy about this book <laughs> is that he doesn't give any context, and he, when, he, when the son <clears throat> says something. He has the opportunity to provide context for his son, and he keeps not doing it. And I'm like, why are you not doing that? Wouldn't it help your son to understand who you are, what you're trying to teach him? You don't know where you're going. He doesn't know where you came from. You're not giving him anything that will ground him in anything other than ashes. And as a parent, going back to what you're saying, Mm -hmm. I don't want that from my kid. I, I don't want you to live in the world that I lived in, but I don't want you to live in a world where you don't know where you come from, either. My story is valid to your story, and that drives me crazy about this, Dad. I'm like, he touches on that though, right?
2: Like, he, every time he wants to, like, go back to his house he grew up in, he can't, he can't even bring himself to stay. Um, he can't bring himself to think about the past because it's it hurts so much, It's like, <clears throat> Because there's no possible chance for anything bright in the future because the world is destroyed so I'm like I think it's not that he shouldn't but it's almost like he can't like he's emotionally traumatized and he has no way to Speak to his son about the past without dying himself. It's almost Mm -hmm. like that those memories bring him death
3: So if you go to page 174 at the end of it it says um, After a while He said, I don't know, but I won't remember it the way that you do. And then they just move on from there. And my immediate question was, how will you remember it? And I'm frustrated with the dad. If you don't want to talk about your past, that's fine. But don't you, as a father, have the opportunity to shape how your son's going to think? Ask him the questions so that he is thinking. And and he doesn't have to involve himself if he doesn't want to. But at least he's helping. And I feel like that's part of parenthood. Personal. So, so I'm, I'm not happy with this dad, sometimes. So 153 <laughs> as well, though, he talks
1: about this. He kind of, I think, kind of pre preempts that, right? And I remember reading that something to me, like, oh you know, this reminds me of this scene earlier, right? It says, when he woke up again, he thought the rain had stopped, but that wasn't what woke him. He'd been visited in a dream by creatures of a kind he'd never seen before. They did not speak. They don't have any words to communicate. He thought that they'd been crouching by the side of his cot as he slept and then had sulked away on his waking. He turned and looked at the boy. Maybe he understood for the first
8: time that the boy he was, to the boy he himself was an alien, a being from a planet that no longer existed, the
1: tales of which were suspect. He could not construct for the child's pleasure the world he'd lost without constructing the loss as well, and he thought perhaps the child had known this better than he. He tried to remember the dream but he could not. All that was left was the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. He thought perhaps they'd come to warn him of what? That he could not enkindle in the heart of the child what was ashes in his own. Mm-hmm. Even now some part of him wished they'd never found this refuge. Some parts of him always wished it to be over. You know, course, and this is the scene, of course, where they're eating bacon and, you know, butter and ham and, you know, coffee and stuff like that. And he's like, what is this stuff? Coffee, what is this? This is butter, you know? And trying to imagine, like, what that would be like to have hot liquid, you know? When you've never had hot, you know, which was funny because I'm like, we run a coffee shop, right? I take this for granted, right? But a world without coffee and a concept without coffee, you know? It's like, what, what there, sense is this?
5: and oh. in, in what sense is
1: this? You know, like trying to explain to Titus what this what this world looks like, you know, when he has no context. So, so maybe he has maybe he has this dilemma.
6: If he gets context, he projects mm-hmm. something that wasn't actually real or he imagines to be real. Because our memory we, we perceive what we
0: Chumba Chumbacasino.com No purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply See website for details
6: When you when you think back And you long for the nostalgic thing If you had it You wouldn't want it Because it's not You actually the, the nostalgic feeling Is what you want When you actually have the thing The feeling goes away And then you long for something else So maybe he has this dilemma And I'm just playing a little bit Of devil's advocate here Because I, I like your concept But I just want to push on it A little bit So We he has this limit. If he gives the kid context, it's going to be shaded by his trauma, and he's going to present him with context that may not be right, and it may, in fact, infect the innocence.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: But if he lets the boy go on the innocence, and he just continues to nurture the innocence, maybe he has a way out, uh, and he's not trapped. He doesn't have the trappings of the nostalgia, and also all the trauma that comes with that innocent rejection. I'm just.
1: Well, I know one of the things that he says on 154 is he could not construct for the child's pleasure the world he's lost without constructing the loss as well, right? I think one of the questions there is, is the, the lack of a construction of the prior world a, a factor in the child's innocence, mm. you know? If he, if he would give the child a broader concept of, here's how good this was, and now it's all gone... What does that do for, for the boy's sense of the world?
6: Maybe one day we'll be able to read fairy tales again. That, that we, you know, we always try to get back to that childlike wonder. And maybe it's the wonder that keeps him going. It, it is the wonder of the son, the innocence of the son that actually fuels him mm-hmm. and lets him know that maybe I could I could have wonder again. Maybe. Also sounds kind
4: of like and similar thing Parent who came from a post-traumatic stress situation and in like war in particular, not wanting to talk about the war. Mm. Um, I know probably someone's even here of grandparents or parents who, who were like that. Who were you know, especially like Vietnam or like World War Two. They just would not talk about it because. Yeah.
2: Yeah. my grand, my grandfather yeah. not talk about. It. Yeah, they just
4: don't won't talk about it for a lot of reasons. But I think one of the similar to that: is that to construct that reality would somehow. Infect that individual with that with your reality, and you don't want to do that because if you did that They would be changed and you want that innocence to stay the same um, Yeah, just like sometimes I don't like talking to people about my past trauma Because if, if, I feel like it's going to affect either them or, or our relationship, you know, and that's always that's always a, a dilemma I think
2: another reason I struggle with books like this and or whatever we were talking about earlier is because I have a hard time escaping my reality that I have. For me, reality is Christ is always present, and so I think because you could say, I mean, I could look through the book and say, "Hey, there's instances of God's presence possibly throughout the moments where they've been you know, the miracles, experienced right throughout where they constantly, you know, they constantly." They're starving, and at the very last moment, it's like, Oh, here's some food, Oh, well, here's a burner, or whatever it is. Um, you could say that it touches on that a little, but I think I, and obviously, not everyone has that in their life. I was looking up a little bit about, about him, he's a teetotaler, but um, he believes alcohol influences writing. Um, but I think it's a little vague on his religious background. But anyways, like obviously, I can't expect that from all books. Right? But I think it's probably why, like once in a while, I like Wes is, knows that there's a few times where I'm like, I want to read this or I want to watch this. It's not a normal thing I would watch or read because I want to just get a better understanding of it. But then I want to then I want to let it go. Um, but I think a lot of times I struggle with that because I'm like, where where's Jesus? Because I know there's no way he can search, and that brings other questions. If we live in this kind of work, which we were talking about a few minutes ago. How do, how do we find the joy that he promises, no matter what circumstances we're in, right? Where do we find, like, is it possible his humans that even experience that he says it is? You know, and I think that's why, for me, I struggle sometimes with these kinds of books because I don't, you don't feel a lot of hope. Like, even, like, their, their hope was to maybe get to the beach and maybe there might be blue water and they get there Oh,
7: sorry. It's not blue. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. It's
2: not blue. (laughs) Sorry. Um, And it's like, oh, I'm like,
5: damn. It's like, it was the
2: one great hope they had. No, with that said, that does not. I'm just gonna put that out there. Doesn't mean anything um, for what their reactions are, but. I'm just like that was that was their one thing. They're like, well, maybe there's some blue water, <laughs> you know, and those things are dashed. And I'm like, what's your next hope, you know? Which is why we, Wes and I, went to all these concentration camps in Europe. We're like, because the books that I've read of all these Holocaust survivors, and I'm like, how do they find hope and joy in the midst of that kind of torture um, and pain? And some of these people find hope and joy in the Mm -hmm. midst of it. I'm like, those are the people I want to emulate in my life or look to when I'm struggling, Um, which is why I read some of these books many times, um, because I know it's possible. So, I don't know. Those are my thoughts about hope in books and redemption in books or movies or anything in general. That's why I think I've read too many real tales of sorrow. I have a hard time with the fictional ones but mm-hmm. I, I gleaned something from them at least.
7: Mm-hmm. It's humbling like to read these kind of books it's very humbling because you wonder would I react the same way you know like, I think about that. like you wonder would I be the Cory Ten Boom or would I be yeah. the dad like, I think about you know, those things maybe in the middle time. I don't know maybe all different maybe every moment <laughs> it's one of those things like you said like they were looking for the water like that was their hope so maybe it's like Obviously, in those books we read, like, the Cory Ten and the Victor Frankel books of like the Holocaust survivors, it's like just every day like that. Though you know, like you wonder like there's parts we didn't see that were probably a little more like what we're reading now. Yeah, you know? and it's yeah, and it's different
2: for each individual. Like I'm reading uh, the Pastor's Wife, which is right now Sabina Wormbrand, who is the mm-hmm. one of the founders of Voice of the Martyrs, and she's in prison, and like it's a lot of like just hysterical weeping mm-hmm. in prison. In between sharing basically the gospel with people and having moments of hope and light, and um, and there there's another guy I read he was imprisoned just recently a few years ago. Oh, we saw him speak. Can't think of his name right now, but he was imprisoned in Somalia, Sudan. Anyways, um, and he was pretty miserable the whole time he was in prison, um, and eventually found some some light, but. So I think some people definitely have a certain kind of grace. Mm-hmm. They're able to walk like Corey, Betsy, mm-hmm. freaking Betsy Ten
7: Boom. Can't relate. Can't
2: That's relate. what he, she was an alien. <laughs>
7: she
2: was amazing, freaking <laughs> angel. She's just like, isn't this wonderful? We get to share Jesus with all these people, and I'm like, I'd be so depressed. Um, yeah. Okay, that was my other. Thing. I
7: think that's what yeah. I mean so much though when I'm reading, because I'm like, if you, if I were to read another book, even the Core Timm books are the books that, look at this again. Sorry, today at work this was a whole fiasco because these things keep coming on <laughs> Anyways, um, but like with the Cory Tim books and stuff, you read those and you're so encouraged, obviously, because there's no way you can read those books and not be encouraged. But when I read books like these, were it's so desolate, like even the writing style, everything about the book is desolate. Like it's very, you know solemn like the whole the whole experience of reading the book i think when you do read parts i think he threw in there intentionally if you don't miss them like the warm at last and like if you read those things of like you know the old man like what i just read he won't he won't believe in god forever and and the dad says no he will like you know like i don't know what he believes but he's going to believe it forever and like i think when you read those moments they mean more to you in these books whenever if it was another book i would skim past that part because i would know there's a bigger hope somewhere else there's a jesus down the road but to this knowing that um, that is the closest thing they can get to Jesus right now. Like, they don't have any other hope. Or I think that's why it means so much more to read those little lines, um, even though it is so sad. <laughs> but, like, when I read Warm at Last, I was almost crying. I was like, why am I crying over this dumb line that doesn't really mean anything? But it meant more than anything else because that was their hope. Like, the fact that he felt something deeper than just, he knew something that the dad didn't know, and the dad didn't know where he got it from. Um, I think that just, like, gave me a glimmer of hope with the book.
1: You know, the boy continues to push on that and continues to push on his dad and continue to say there is there is another way of look, looking at the world. And I think one of those scenes, I think, is when they're sitting down there with the ham hang- um, and the biscuits and the coffee and the dad's getting ready to dig in, right, and he's famished and the boy stops him and says shouldn't we thank the people? Mm. Oh, that's a great
7: them. part. That was that's a, a great good, part. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's another example. And the dad's like, what? <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> the dad's like, let's he's just eat He's like, no, it. we
1: should thank the people. And he's like, well, I don't know how to thank people. You know, Which, by the way, I think maybe is a reminder that gratitude somewhere along the line is something the boy learned. He has some language for this, right? And mm-hmm. some kind of context for this, even if it's just between him and his dad, right? As he grew you know, I tell my kids sometimes, like, mm. you have to say thank you, you know, but he, you thank, worried he thanks that these people that are not there and says, I'm sorry that you're not here to enjoy this food. And e- if you were, we would, we wouldn't eat so that he you was so worried of
2: stolen who they were stealing it yep. from
5: other people. Mm. Yep. And that's just like, like,
7: like, that's not normal. Like looking like he's like, we've all said, like you're all the symptoms, like everything that he's came from. That's not normal. Like, for us, we can rationalize. You know, you grow up and then you hear that from your parents. And, like, for him, that's not normal for him to think that. So where's he getting that?
2: To me, there. so there's some innate things. There has to be, because Wes and I were talking about nature versus nurture, there has to be somewhere in this boy's life where he was, obviously it's patient, so it's not like that's there, but there has to be a point where he was actually teaching his son something mm-hmm. or being an example of some kind of kindness. Even in the way he treats his son, for example, yeah. right—he's patient with him. He always tells him it's okay. He always like protects him, keeps him safe, and so he's setting an example without talking about happy things. Yeah. So there's something in there, whether even if he's not telling him about the past and the good old days, yeah. through just because of what the world created in his dad before the world was destroyed. There's something redemptive or good in there too, um, even though he's forgotten most of it—or not forgotten, but has walked away. There, there's an
6: archetype here that that I've just I've just realized as we're talking about this that that Peterson talks about is one of the highest ideals that man's ever going to come up with, and and this this happened, you know, six thousand, ten thousand years ago. We, we've come up with this idea of sacrifice,
5: mm-hmm.
6: and. It, it permeates our entire being and he's like, I don't know how we came up with the idea if I give up something now mm-hmm. for something in the future how, how that concept of future self plays into the idea of sacrifice is, is, is innate, sort of, particularly inside of us um, and the father is showing sacrifice over and over and over and mm-hmm. over to the son, his entire life is a sacrifice yeah, for the really. son in, in a sense, he's sacrificing his his life for the
1: son. Maybe that's the connection of altruism, because the son, you know, when we think about being an altruistic father, right, or giving your your kids, ultimately your greatest hope is that your kids are going to continue that and give on to other people. But this boy doesn't have other people to give to, right? They're only in in thought, only you know, except for the man on the road, right? They're only in thought, I'm going to give like he says with the biscuit, he says, if if we were here and you were here, we would go hungry so that you could eat, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I would go hungry so that the people that have this food could eat. And he gives to the man on the road, knowing that they're not gonna be able to replenish that. So that's not even like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do something, give to you and get something back in the future. It's, we're just going to part with this, right? Which you can tell there's reticence on dad, because he's like, oh, I got so much of this stuff, right? Right. But I think that that's a big connection Between that father and that son, and then that son is like generosity breeds generosity, right? Giving breeds giving, sacrifice breeds sacrifice, and the boy has to have something to give. So, how do we create human flourishing, right?
6: How do we take a a desolation, a dystopian world, and which philosophy is better? The ends justifies the means, Mm -hmm. or sacrifice and, and altruism and and and. And hope, which, which one actually will create a sustainable society that can, that can thrive. And I, I think, he, uh, to me, he wrestles with that. Like, let's, let's give uh, a level playing field. No religion, no anything. Everything's desolate. It's dog-eat-dog.
1: It's dog. Which philosophy is going to win out? Mm-hmm. And so I, that's, uh, what, that's what I was <laughs> sort of gleaning. So I do want to, before we like, wrap up tonight... There's the the climax of this second section, I think, is the old man on the road. Um, And in some sense, he's a contrast between the ways that the father is looking at the road, the way that the boy is looking at the road, and all the metaphors. And then you get this old man, who's old. We don't know how old he is. Not 90. Not 90, although he says he's 90, you know. But, it's like, he's been on this road for a long time. And we see this, almost this philosophical conversation that happens. And so I was wondering if somebody would be willing to read opposite me or have two people that would read the exchange because I think it just reads better that way Where is that? it's on page 168 168
6: to yeah, not, not me you guys don't know how I read I'll, I'll read I was
7: going to say Nina's the one we asked
1: <laughs> okay I'll give I'll the father okay. and be the old man. I'll be the horrible old man. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> Sitting like a starved and threadbare Buddha staring into the coals. You can't go with us, you know, the man said.
2: You nod- oh, never mind. We're just nodding, right? Yeah.
1: You, <laughs> you take all that. How long have you been on the road?
2: I was always on the road. You can't stay in my place.
1: How do you live?
2: I just keep going. I knew this was coming.
1: You knew it was coming?
2: Yeah, this or something like it. I always believed in it.
1: Did you try to get ready for it?
2: No, what would you do?
1: I don't know. People were always getting ready for tomorrow. No, sorry.
2: People were always, we'll see. It's hard to tell without the (laughs) 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 the (laughs) the question. (laughs) (laughs) People were always getting ready for tomorrow. I didn't believe in that. Tomorrow wasn't getting ready for them. I didn't even know they were there. I guess not. Even if you knew what to do, you wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't know if you wanted to do it or not. Suppose you were the last one left. Suppose you did that to yourself.
1: Do you wish you would die?
2: No, but I might wish I had died. When you're alive, you've always got that ahead of you.
1: Or you might wish you'd never been born.
2: Well, beggars can't be choosers.
1: You think that would be asking too much?
2: What's done is done. Anyway, it's foolish to ask ask for luxuries in times like these. I guess so. Am I still, is this me? Yeah. Nobody wants to be here. Nobody wants to leave. Uh,
5: He
2: lifted, uh, you want me to read the... I can read the narration part. Okay, go
4: ahead. (laughs) He lifted his head and looked across the fire at the boy. Then he looked at the man. The man could see his small eyes watching him in the firelight. God knows what those eyes saw. He got up to pile more wood on the fire and he raked the coals back from the dead leaves. The red sparks rose in a shudder and died in the blackness overhead. The old man drank the last of his coffee and set the bowl before him and leaned toward the heat with his hands out. The man watched him.
1: How would you know if you were the last man on earth? <laughs> he dead.
2: I don't guess you would know it. You'd just be it. Nobody would know it. It wouldn't make any difference. When you die, it's the same as if everybody else did, too. I guess God would know
1: it. Is that it?
2: There is no God. No? There is no God, and we <laughs> are his prophets.
1: I don't understand how you're still alive. How do you eat? I don't know. People give you things.
2: People give you things? Yes.
1: To eat? To eat, yes. No, they don't. You did. No, I think we switched. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was waiting on that This isn't going to work. All Uh (laughs) All No, I didn't. No, I didn't. The boy did.
2: There's other people on the road. You're, the, you're not the only ones.
1: Are you the only one?
2: The old man peered rarely. What do you mean?
1: He said. Are there people with you? What people? Any people.
2: There's not any people. What are you talking about?
1: I'm talking about you. About what line of work you might be in. <laughs> the old man didn't answer. I suppose you want to go with us. Go with you. Yes.
2: You won't take me with you. You don't want to go. I wouldn't have even come this far, but I was hungry.
1: The people that give you food, where are they?
2: There's not any people. I just made that up.
1: What else did you make up?
2: I'm just on the road the same as you, no different.
1: Is your name really Ellie? No. You don't want to say your name? I don't want to say it. Why?
2: I couldn't trust you with it, to do something with it. I don't want anybody talking about me, to say where I was or what I said when I was there. I mean, you could talk about me, maybe, but nobody could say it was me. I could be anybody. I think in times like these, the less said, the better. If something had happened and we were survivors and we met on the road, then we'd have something to talk about. But we're not, so we don't. Maybe not. You just want to say it in front of the
1: boy. You're not a show for a pack of rhodogens? Rhodogens.
2: I'm not anything. I'll leave you if you want me to. I can find the road. You don't have to leave. I've not seen a fire in a long time, that's all. I live like an animal. You don't want to know the things I've eaten. When I saw that boy, I thought that I had died.
1: You thought he was an angel?
2: I didn't know what he was. I never thought to see a child again. I didn't know that would happen.
1: What if I said he's a god?
5: The old man should be dead.
2: I'm past all that now. Have been for years. Where men can't live gods, they are no better. You'll see. It's better to be alone. So I hope that's not true what you said, because to be on the road with the last god would be a terrible thing, so I hope it's not true. Things would be better when everybody's gone. They will? Sure they will.
1: Better for who? Everybody everybody
2: sure we're all better off we're all we'll all breathe easier
5: that's good now.
2: yes it is when we're all gone at last then there will be nobody here but death and his days will be number two he'll be out in the wood in the road there with nothing to do and nobody to do it to he'll say where did everybody go and that's how it will be what's wrong with that
1: all right so this is a dialogue it's very philosophical, right? Like, I imagine in a film it would be hard to kind of play out, you know, in a way, but so you're meant to kind of like he's, he's speaking... Obviously this is a big metaphor for death and life in meaning. What are you guys' thoughts on this old man and what he's saying? Which is super confusing, but what is he saying? What are your thoughts on it?
5: Nothing has meaning and everything is nothing, and... There is no god, and the are his prophet.
2: Yeah. He's,
4: he's yeah, circular. Just, everything he says is circular. Yeah, Close my mind. He's also a circular pragmatist, which is a really interesting combination. Um, <laughs> That's true. In that, everything he's, everything he says is designed to help him get out of trouble, and everything yeah. that he does is designed to get himself out of trouble. So he's just circularizing his entire existence for the sake of living on. That's what he no, said. It the living on has meaning. no meaning. Which exa- right? Exactly. So it's just, again, it's back to the beginning. Yeah. Again. So it's it's, it's, it's it's all circular, but circular practicing. <laughs> so, given his age and that he survived in a world that led up to yeah. whatever caused the end times. Yeah.
1: But even his age is something that add we don't really know. Him. He could be sixty yeah. or he could be 90. He just says, I just I just tell people that I'm, I'm 90. His name's not real. His name's
6: not real. you like? I mean, my first is, is says who, and why should I trust anything you're saying? You know, basically, that's uh, I, you. You can't, you can't trust him. Obviously, what he's saying, because when he when he starts to, like I said, when he starts to become circular, at that point, it's, you're you're not. You, the conversation goes nowhere. His his philosophy will not create a sustaining sustainability. Um, for society, it may sustain him in in that in that spinning of his wheels, but it's not anything that you're like. Oh, this is this is the road view. This is this is how I walk the road. Like, no, I don't walk the road like
1: that. That's not how I walk the road. So that's he's safe in a certain way, right? Yeah. In terms of other people, right? So there's a lot of characters that we see here, right? That you're like, don't you don't want to be near them, right? They stumble upon this guy. It's not a trap. But he's also not safe in another way, right? There is a reason that they leave him on the road, and if they decided that they were gonna take him on the road with them, like, that would be super frustrating, because <laughs> it would be like, he's not, he's not this definition of this good guy, right? They, what good is not even a term that yeah. this individual- Even know, the way he leaves- Can, defi- can define- Something good. And what influence would that potentially have on the boy to be and say, let's bring this guy with this view of the road yeah. with us to today. Right. So he's capable of, of anything and nothing. Yeah. But smacks of nihilism
6: and yet a lack of nihilism mm. which is just really weird. Well it's it interesting. I I think actually it, it it shows that nihilism isn't really lived out. Like you, you can say yeah. you believe in nihilism, but when it comes to corresponding to reality, you, you can't live nihilism because it doesn't work, and so that's why it's circular. You spout off nihilistic things, but you you don't act. You act as a pragmatist, <laughs> and so it's as you get that uh, it, that right. conflict
1: there. Because not just right. Nobody wants to be here, and nobody wants to leave. Yeah, I mean that's it. that's the whole thing. It's just, what, it's just what it is. It is, you know? what it is. <clears throat> why not? Why not? <clears throat> why not kill yourself? He's a contradiction, record, right? Because is what it is for this year, you know? Why are you here in the first place on the road? Because I'm here on the road to first place. Right. And I think, I think, I think McCarthy is like, he presents this character as a, as a frustrating character yeah. because and it's not, it's not, we don't wrestle with this in the same way that we wrestle mm-hmm. with the ways that the father looks at the road and the way that the son looks at the road. We wrestle with this because it, it feels nonsensical, you know? <laughs> And the funny, the interesting thing is that it's it's portrayed from the perspective of an old man, you know, who yeah. usually you would be like a sage, a sage. Yeah. But this isn't, and, and they're even doing this, having this conversation around a fighter, right? Mm-hmm. But this isn't sage wisdom, even though it's a sage philosophy. It's a it's an old philosophy. Yeah, there is no aim. He has no aim.
6: At least the father and son have an aim. Right. right. The road. Yeah.
2: You know, part made me really sad. I mean, outside of the whole book. I was going to say, probably the whole book. When the freaking gas tank emptied out. Uh, oh,
7: gosh, that was gut wrenching. And the boy's like, he it was wrenching. my fault,
2: wasn't it? And the dad and didn't not want to tell fault. him. It's not your fault. It, we, it needs to have tape on it. We don't have tape. It's not your fault. And I was just like, that poor boy. First of all, that boy makes quite a few mistakes. And I'm like, come on, you've got to be at least like 10 or 11. I mean, stop making dumb mistakes. You're living in a survival world.
3: <laughs> it's you don't have room for
7: mistakes, sir.
2: Innocence is definitely <laughs> winning out over and over again. But I was so sad when that tank emptied out.
8: I think the Old Man is also interesting because, and I might be missing a part of this, but he's the one character that they run into, who the boy is interested in, who he's not, he's like, not later on asking, or saying, like, I wish the old man was with us. Yeah. Like, the little boy, he's like, I wish the little boy was with us. And then the baby, he's like, I wish we had that baby with us. But the old man is, uh, baby. even the boy knows that he's bad news. It's interesting, I think the just
4: from reading that, or listening to that dialogue, um, it seems like McCarthy's actually exposing the, the, the foolishness of ni- overly nihilistic, pragmatic thoughts in contrast to the father and the son. And it's also interesting, too, the lack of the son's interjection there. Um, but but I, think it's, I think it's interesting because the father is actually trying to poke holes in what he's saying, and he does at times. And, but that's actually somewhat counter to what the father has been like in the past in that the father is almost poking holes in it trying to find hope and that's not really his, his narrative bent for most of it but like you can see it also when the father's faced with nihilistic thoughts he's like ah I can't go down that road either that doesn't ring true to me and as much as he doesn't want to say it to his son sometimes about all well, the things that he's hoping for inside he's Mm. wanting that, and so when he's approached by such a cold philosophy he, he instinctively tries to poke holes Ooh. in that cold philosophy, which is partly what we all really want to do yes. when we're faced with nihilism and uh, and I think that's a that's a compelling argument for, uh, for for a design that's larger than we think
2: could be this could be a literary this reminds me of like an English lit class. I was in many English lit boxes, but it was like, this feels like it'd be one of those moments where we almost could say, like, it's a character that was not actually there, but he was arguing with himself. Mm-hmm. That's
3: what I was thinking. It, it's actually, like, the old man is kind of an element of the man to get yeah. to extremes. And, mm-hmm. and I wondered if that's why they... Mm-hmm. Why he put him into the book is he's nice. if the man took some of his arguments to the extreme, this is who he which is, which is why he was arguing.
2: Like when you were saying that, Dad, I'm like, oh, yeah. he's arguing with himself. Yeah. yeah, he's trying to poke holes in his own arguments. And it's
3: important that he comes up here and that we get to, to see him taken mm-hmm. yeah. to extremes, yeah. because it brings up the other parts of him as a counterbalance. Yeah.
6: So we can deal with them. So can we also reach way back and pull the wife into this? Because the wife was a true believer in nihilism, yes. right? So she believed it and she lived it out. She, she, was, she was honest in her nihilism. Mm-hmm. So he's still dealing with nihilism because she, she's like, you don't have an argument for me. So he still has to wrestle with the nihilism. He's still carrying it with him, but he also has pragmatism. So I think that's really that's a really fantastic way of going. This is the articulation of maybe, maybe what we're seeing is this is the, the articulation of, of that. Uh, of, of that philosophy of the, the nihilism is pragmatism going you can't exist as you are mm. like you can't be a, pra- a nihilistic pragmatist you, you have to choose one and I think that's maybe that's the, 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 the fork in the road here that, that uh, yeah. we're looking at that's super interesting
1: I was only reading it from a philosophical angle but not a mm. not a not a character yeah introspection angle yeah. you know he is the other
3: thing I- confronting himself wrote down on this is like um not a reason that we reproduce but when (coughs) we reproduce we pass ourselves on elements of ourselves and he this guy this old man is saying i'm not trusting you with me Mm -hmm. i'm just going to not exist anymore and if if the man is arguing with himself and he has the reproduction of himself that counterbalances that and I'm going, we've said before this is this boy, the Word of God is his reason for living." And, and it just I don't know, it just felt really balanced to me in looking at it from that, that way.
1: Yeah, because you could you could you could imagine that without the boy, the man would have become like the old man. Mm-hmm. you know. And it's not even like he's trying. He's trying to poke holes in it, but he, but he doesn't really ever get around to actually invalidating the old man's argument. Yeah, you know, it's like it's la- It's almost lazy. Yeah, he's, he's just like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. He kind of moves on from it, which is of course what we see where the old man. They just keep walking, and he proceeds into the background, never to be seen again. But that's representative of the hopelessness
2: too. Like he doesn't argue because he doesn't know how to argue. And he doesn't have the energy to argue anymore. Yeah. It's like whatever anyone mm-hmm. believes about anything is fine because. We're all miserable and we're all in pain. And what's the point of arguing anymore? And he's like, because I've thought all these things too. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like not even laziness. It's just...
7: It's like what we were talking about last week was like a meaninglessness is equivalent to irrelevance. Like when things aren't relevant anymore, even if they're real things, if they're irrelevant anymore, they're meaningless. Like birds in the sky, they're not... Even though they're real, they were real. Like it's irrelevant to even speak of those things or colors or like yeah. anything because it doesn't, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. You can almost imagine that even if this old man, you know, if there was, if there was a bird in the sky and chirping, mm-hmm. he, wouldn't, he wouldn't eat it. It's the irrelevant pot. now. Yeah. Because it's just a thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter. Whereas, if, you know, if the boy saw a bird, you know, he'd be super excited about it. And he ask, like, you know, what a, what, what, about different creatures and stuff like that that used to do this. And, you know, even the man himself still has a semblance of <coughs> that, you know. It's there but this old man has just given up on that yeah is the embodiment of a black and white world
6: right well, and, and I think so this reminds me a lot of in a sense nihilism and and Nirvana play into each other quite a bit the old man is hoping that he doesn't exist at some point which, Nirvana means the blowing out of, of non-existence. But yet he's he won't take his own life. Because there's something about life, there's something innately good, there's something, there's something better to suffer and live than to, to end it all. Does he not have enough courage to do it? Or is, is there something in in this in this thing that I'm I'm reminded of uh well, the one thing that we want as humans is we want to be known. And even though he's like, I don't want to be known, I don't care, but yet don't tell my name because people might, might know me and they might talk about me. Well, but I think people didn't exist. I thought, you know, I thought no, one, no one mattered. But yet there's still this thing in us that wants to be known. And the actual, I, I think one of the greatest images of hell is given, I think it's in Matthew 11 where uh, Jesus told them to depart, I never knew you. You know the great, the great, the 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 all-knowing being, the superior being who knows all things, chooses not to know you. I I never knew you Mm
7: -hmm.
6: because we desire to have that 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 known thing. And so, um, yeah, there's something. I think it was a mix
7: of both, maybe, which we'll talk about next week, probably. The the mix of like he didn't have the courage, but also there was some nobility in living it out. I think there was both. Because I think he says, I'm not going to get into it, but he says. I didn't have the courage to do what maybe maybe I should have done it, or maybe I shouldn't. Have done you know, maybe I chose the right thing, but that's something
1: we can argue next week. Yeah. So setting this up for next week, you know, the man starts coughing, right? And you'll see as it gets along that the cough is getting worse and worse and worse. And so we're, we're we are nearing, of course, at the end of the book. We're also nearing, you know, what the man says on page one seventy five. I am going to die. He said, "Tell me how I'm going to do that." Mm-hmm. Tell me, who's talking to, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me, how am I going to do that? I'm going to die. Tell me, how am I going to do that? And I think that's the question that this last part of the
5: book raises is how do we die?
1: <coughs> how do go. we go yeah, into that last good. third of our lives, you know? And again, it's like, you know, as a, as a Parent, you know, as a young parent, eventually you, you're not a young parent. You know, eventually we're all going to hit that last third of our lives, which it's like, okay, we will be looking at that closer than we were when we were younger. And you do have to ask that question. How do um, I die well? You you probably know, a a lot of all sorts of things, Eric out, Erickson, and you know, just how how do, how do we live out the last part of we're our, just, you our know, road?
4: I mean, we bring it back to what really matters, is the Klingon Star Trek philosophy. And it is? Today's a good day to die.
5: You know, I I was going to say it, it was there, but I thought, you know, I'm going to leave it for (laughs) David. Today's a good day to die.
7: Today's a good day to die. I was going to say, I'll bring all my Victor Franklin
1: quotes next week. Yeah. Quite whistling. (laughs) It's so good. Next week, we'll finish it up.
6: I will say,
7: we today's culture doesn't talk about nobility enough. I feel like this is a good book to talk about nobility, next week especially. has been a worm my
6: brain. Mm-hmm. We did not
7: emphasize nobility, nobility in today's culture.
6: Where, where did we, you, you read something about something being noble. I can't remember what it was, and it's just been wrecked. We kind of
7: got on that with the end of uh, That Hideous Strength. We kind of teetered with that idea of like, oh, nobility. It was Joel but.
5: Salatin.
6: Joel Salatin, this guy, this farmer talked about having nobility, and he's a, a farmer, and um, he, well, the way he raises his animals, nice. the the uh, the what's the something, pigness of pigs, ability oh, you know, of the, the ordinary. The ordinary kind of there's stuff? a there's a there's
2: a, a book he wrote. It's called the, the amazing or the amazing pigness of pigs or something like that. But it just <laughs>
6: talks about being doing things that are noble, mm. and it just it's just been wrecking me going. Yeah. This day and age, you, even in the atomic age. You, Nobility means something like doing the right thing for the right reason. I think to
7: die well is a great thing. And to die well, that's, that. that's, thats there's
6: nobility in that yeah. death. Right. Yeah. So, all right. That's exciting. Next cool. week. Next week. Next week. Mm-hmm.
7: And then we're at Lee Finagle.
6: It's, it's, it's right? up to you. We don't have to say it. You know, you no. can, you can close us out on the you,
1: or this, this is your group. This, oh, is, I'll this is I'll let you. Okay. Let's, let's hear it. Further up.
7: Further, Further in. in.
1: <laughs> what was that about Lee Finagle? Oh, nice.